Welcome back, About South listeners. You are entering the home stretch of our last four episodes of our fourth and final season. We are so grateful that you have joined us over the last four years, and we have an amazing lineup for you this month. First up is this incredible story brought to you by our new co-producer, Jessica Parker, and it is about the Line Creek petroglyph. I don't even know how to give an intro to this because the story just took so many twists and turns as Jessica was trying to follow the mystery of essentially what is a very special missing rock. You're going to know everything by the end of the episode, so just listen along and enjoy. I'm Gina Kaysen, and this is About South. Jessica Parker, you are one of our new producers here at About South this season. I am. It's nice to have you. Thank you. When I called you about being back on the show, was there anything that you thought we should cover? And you told me this incredible story that um, I'm still in somewhat of disbelief about, about a missing petroglyph. So can you just, um, for our listeners, set up for us the topsy-turvy mystery of the missing rock that we're going into today? (laughs) Well, I grew up in Fayette County, Georgia, and Uh, Not too far from where I grew up at, there is this nature center or nature area called the Line Creek Nature Area. And it's a huge, huge piece of property that runs along Line Creek. Um, It's kind of like a day hike kind of area. A lot of people, you know, walk their dogs there, go running. Um, It's really beautiful. when they first acquired the area they had to do i guess like an environmental study and they were looking for anything of historical importance and it's my understanding that this is when they found um this rock with a carving on it and they were curious about what it was and it became known as the line creek petroglyph not too many years ago, I was reading the local paper and there was this story in there about the Line Creek petroglyph, which I didn't even know existed, and how it had been stolen. And it was described as a very large rock that was very, very heavy. And I knew where they were talking about, like where it was in the Lion Creek nature area. It's very, very, very deep in the woods. So, you know, this is, you know, along um, a, a very, very wide creek. Well, no one ever heard anything about it after that. So it's just years of what happened to it. It was just sort of this mystery of this this thing from history that just was stolen. Okay, so to back up, it's where we are here Mm -hmm. is 
Muskogee Creek yes. homelands. Mm-hmm. You're a native person, but you're Potawatomi. Mm-hmm. So you're indigenous, but not of people who are indigenous to this area. Did you, were you kind of attracted to this story or curious about the story because you were like, here's this native thing that gets taken or, um, or were you also just kind of like, this is an odd story? Uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm very sensitive to um, any indigenous object that is desecrated or stolen or vandalized in any way because it's sort of like adding insult to injury. So when I saw that in the paper, it immediately caught my attention because it was something local to me. And uh, I think most people I talked to weren't even aware that there was Muskogee Creek presence in Fayette County, which is kind of, you know, disappointing, but also uh, not too surprising. So um, when, and I also thought it was unusual. I thought it was a weird thing for someone to do, to, you know, go in the woods and steal a petroglyph. You know, I just thought it was odd. That was very weird. Is it clear how we know that this petroglyph is real? Because you know, last season we had Allison Pine on about Trollita's grave, which is mm-hmm. a pile of rocks that has nothing to do with indigenous history. And we have other things in the area like Rock Eagle, which is actually a buzzard. I mean, but that is indigenous. So, like, how do we know that this rock is? And I don't want to be disrespectful to the rock by just calling it a rock petroglyph I'm not sure but how do we know that this rock is a special petroglyph my first thought when I looked at it was that it could be literally anything it it has like a sunburst pattern on it that could be um, well it's actually found not too far from a historic mill site so I thought this could be some component of the mill like who who's to say that this is in any way a Muskogee Creek artifact it could be anything it could be something that you know someone just carved for fun, you know, a very long time ago. It could be, you know, um, I mean, it doesn't look like it could naturally occur, but, you know, I, I my first thought didn't go to, this is an indigenous artifact, but um, I guess whoever, you know, uncovered it, decided that's what it was or had it authenticated in some way. Um, But yeah, my first thought looking at it is that this could be absolutely anything. There's no way to know for sure that that's what that is. Why would someone feel like they could take this? Okay, let's assume that it is special. It is something that is very old. It is maybe either religious in nature or mapping, logistical. It is something that is clearly important. Why would someone want to... Steal it. I really don't know. I'm not sure what the mentality is with that. I know that it typically happens to indigenous objects because indigenous people are sometimes viewed as, you know, objects of the past and indigenous artifacts are valuable in a monetary sense and also in a historical sense. And I think for some reason, people feel entitled to take Native American artifacts in a way they don't necessarily feel entitled to take other kinds of artifacts. Um, I don't know why someone would make 
such a concerted effort because this is a very big, very heavy rock. It's very far in the woods. You have to go down an embankment. You have to, you know, it's very rocky, like big boulder rocks. Um, it, it just seems like a lot of effort to pick something like that up or two people pick it up more likely. It's, it's very hard to believe it's just one person that two people would, and also it, this isn't something that you could really do without someone noticing you. This is a very busy area. There are people there all day long, walking their dogs and jogging and um, hanging out, doing all kinds of things. And it would just be very unusual in my mind for someone to be able to do that without being noticed. So in my mind, you have to do this when no one's around, maybe at night. I mean, you, you could go on and on, but it, it just seems like a weird thing to do and a lot of effort just to own a Native American artifact. And I, I don't really understand why people feel entitled to take something that is of historical significance. But I do know that I see it happen more to Native objects than to other parts of history and their objects. And it's also, I mean, given the history of creek removal in Georgia, a lot of people think about Cherokee removal. A lot of people don't realize Muscogee Creek presence here was also huge. In fact, the majority of the state, by some estimations, and that Muscogee Creek people were also removed. And to then remove, if we're working on the assumption this is, in fact, a Muscogee Creek object, to then remove a the very presence from the landscape itself. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well, it wasn't enough to take the land. Now you're digging something out of the earth and taking that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, hard to articulate exactly why that's painful. I'm not Creek, um, but I can look at my own history and my own experience and my family history and think of similar things that have happened to objects of importance where they've been vandalized or stolen. And um, it's a different kind of painful when it's a part of your history that isn't replaceable, that is removed by someone who shouldn't have a say in where it goes. You know, it's, um, it's hard to articulate. It's a, it's a very deep generational feeling. It, it's, a, it's a generational feeling of pain. It's disappointment. about it it's when I read about the stone being removed from where it was um, in the uh, the article the director of the Southern Conservation Trust um, she wrote a letter to the editor the S Southern Conservation Trust is the organization that owns the Lion Creek Nature Area property and 
she basically said, we just want it back, no questions asked. Like, we don't want to press charges. We don't want to, we won't look into it. Just please bring it back. That's, that's really all we want. And I think most people who read that agreed. It's really, I don't know why you would steal something like that because it's very hard to sell things like that. Uh, and I know there's obviously a market for it, but once people realize that it's stolen, no one's going to want to buy it. So I'm not really sure why you would take it to buy it or to sell it rather. I think people take things like that because they feel entitled to take it. And I think that it's just a sense of like, it's mine. I own it. It belongs to me. Um, it's yeah. Curiosity, I guess is a, a good way to explain it. Okay. So what we know right now, there was a presumed petroglyph. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to be infinitely skeptical. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's real. Um, okay, there was a presumed petroglyph. Then the petroglyph goes missing. Then they write a letter. And then do we know if it got returned? So when when I initially told you about this story, um, I knew I did not know the answer to that. And uh, I spent a long time looking it up. There weren't really any follow-up articles regarding the petroglyph and everyone I talked to about it assumed that it was still missing. Um, you know, our town is, is relatively small. So most people I spoke to said, yeah, I, I, I don't have, I don't know what happened to that. So it, it took a lot of digging around, but I did find eventually a follow-up piece in a different newspaper about its return. So it was returned actually relatively quickly within I think a week of its removal. Someone brought it back, I guess because of the the attention that it got. It wasn't just local attention, it became, you know, I, I think um, other news organizations brought it up and I guess whoever took it realized that it was a bigger deal than they thought when they they took they probably thought it was harmless to just go out and pick this thing up and bring it home with them but it's not harmless and they they quickly learned that when the the public was very unhappy <laughs> that it was gone so they brought it back then i wondered okay well where is it now because it's not there anymore so i looked into it and it turns out the Department of Natural Resources, um, I, don't, I don't know if they came and got it and just decided that it wasn't safe where it was, so they were just going to you know, remove it, or if someone turned it over to them, I'm not really sure, but either way, it, it's just, the way it's described now is it's in a safe place with the Department of Natural Resources. I mean, Oh, God, I know, I guess, uh, I'm not, I don't want to totally anthropomorphize this petroglyph, <laughs> but I feel like it's had, like, talk about a big adventure mm-hmm. for a, a boulder mm-hmm. that live in its boulder life, mm-hmm. someone carves something on it, mm-hmm. it does its job, and then now it's just getting, like, Moved around Moved all around. Over. Like, oh, man. Okay. So 
you have looked into, there is someone you think that can help us solve the mystery. There's a local historian who I think may be able to help us figure out exactly what happened to it. today in Peachtree City, Georgia, um, which are the homelands of Muscogee Creek people. Eddie, I understand you've done a lot of research in this area, and we came out here today to talk to you about what started for us a little bit of the mystery of the Lime Creek petroglyph. Initially, when Jessica approached me about this story, I think initially I asked Jessica, what is something you want to talk about this season? And she said, okay, there was this petroglyph and I don't really know what happened and it got stolen. And then we just kept unraveling what we were calling sort of the mystery of the petroglyph. But it turns out you're the guy to ask about the Line Creek petroglyph. And that's why we're here with you today. I'm the guy. You are the guy. Sounds good to me. All right. So just to start us off, you are the person who initially found this petroglyph. Um, obviously, a lot of people knew about it hundreds of years ago or longer, but you stumbled upon it. Can you just tell us how you came across this petroglyph in southwestern Georgia? Middle Georgia. Middle Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> Western Middle Georgia. Western Middle Georgia. Okay. Uh, it is. I got interested in a in a in a man who was uh, who came to Fayette County in eighteen about eighteen. Well, he came here in eighteen twenty one as the surveyor of uh, of this area, uh, and he evidently found that he liked it a lot. And came back and did some surveying for the state in Coweta County. Fayette County was eighteen twenty one county. Coweta was 1827. This man owned and operated two water mills on Line Creek, which is about a hundred or so yards from where I found this, this petroglyph. But there was a, a, a trading path that came through it that ran east to, east to west. And it ran right along beside where I found this, this petroglyph. Now, the, these trails, you got to understand, they were, they are, uh, there are many of them. They're like a maze. They, they, uh, Dr. Goff, you know Dr. John Goff, he, he wrote down one time that uh, not only did you have the, the paths, but the crossings at rivers and in large creeks, if the water was up, they, they might not could cross where they normally do. So there was actually, uh, paths that went down beside the creeks and rivers on both sides, the east and west side. So the the trader or whoever might go upstream a half a mile, find a better place to cross and cross and come back, back down. So my main concern or, or, or love for this was of mapping these old Indian trails. And that's how I ran across this whole site. So th that's how I got started. And I, I found the uh, petroglyph one day and I really didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know whether to put it in, in my truck and take it home. I said, no, I can't do that. 
So I, I called somebody at Peachtree City and I said, listen, you got something over here that needs to be preserved. And I'm going to tell you right now, you need to come get it. Because if somebody else finds this thing, it's going to be gone. Well, they didn't act on it right away. Next thing I know, a buddy of mine uh, is over there, and he says, you won't believe this, but it's gone. I said, what? He said, it's the petroglyph is gone. So I called Peachtree City and told them that it was gone. Well, next thing I know, it's on the local news, then it's on the state news, then it's on the... So one of my friends said, I was up in Chicago, and it was on the Chicago news. And then, and then after that, uh, shortly after that, the thing reappeared. Whoever stole it brought it back and just dropped it in this in this hole where uh, where the rock had, had been. So at that time, um, Peachtree City sent some of their uh, road crew out to maintenance folks to pick it up, and they brought it back to the Public Works Department. The state got involved in it at that time, and they brought a uh, specialist named uh, Janie Loopster. I'm probably not pronouncing his name right. He's from South Africa. Uh, but he came down and he's the one that took the 3D picture of it and such as that. And then uh, they decided to, since it was, was found in Peachtree City, it was decided that they would leave the stone here in Peachtree City rather than taking it like to the Fayette County Historical Society because it was, it was on property that was uh, it's managed by, uh, it's, it's Lion Creek Nature Preserve now is where it is, and it's managed by Southern Conservation Trust, but uh, Peachtree City actually owns the property. So we decided it should stay, stay here. And that's, that's the short story on what, what I've done. Now, to take, the, take us back to that day that you're out looking at these trails and mills associated with your work on Alexander Ware, did you, did you stub your toe on it? Did you just walk across it? You happen to be looking down. How did you recognize, because a lot of people walk around and don't notice anything. When you were walking, how did you first notice it? And what was your initial reaction about, am I looking at, like, how did you know it was significant when you saw it. Well, when I when I saw it, I knew what it was just from being involved in this this hobby of mine. I've seen a lot of petroglyphs, especially out, out west, but there's there's a they're around here too. You just have to know where to where to find them. But I was just walking down this path, going down to the mill, and I I just happened to look over for some reason, and it was fall. And so there was leaves coming down, but I just I, I saw that that circle on that on that rock, and I went back to my uh, truck, and I had a, a a little whisk broom in there, and I came back and I cleaned it off and took pictures of it, and, and uh, finally through the grapevine I found uh, uh, you know some of the state, and then Jane Loopster, and that's that's how it basically. But I, I mean, when I, I was amazed when I found it. I said, this can't be what I think it is. I showed you earlier of one that we found down at the Warm Springs Institute in Warm Springs, which actually is about the same size as this one. It's got the circle. Uh, it's a little bit different, uh, but it does have a, uh, I think, a directional error coming out of the top of it. I took a compass reading of it, went back and overlaid it on the Google Earth, and it points pointed directly at warm springs. These springs that comes out of ground, out of the ground behind the uh, FDR uh, pool that's there at the Institute. And this is one thing I think 
What you're saying brings up something that a lot of people maybe in the Southeast aren't aware of. People think of a lot of indigenous history and these types of sites as just being out West, but someone such as yourself who's immersed yourself in this history in this area for so long, um, is it fair to say that, I mean, there's so much stuff like this in this area that people just don't pay attention to? Um, just in your experience, are people surprised when you talk about the pervasiveness of Muskogee trails and roads and trading paths and here are these directional markers? How do people react when you talk to them about this history? Well, most people don't, don't really have a clue about the old roads, where they were. What got me started on these Indian trails about 30 years ago was I, I live in Brooks, Georgia. And there's a road that goes through Brooks, Georgia, and it's called the McIntosh Road. And I knew who it was named after, Chief McIntosh. He was also a, a, a general. Um, and so I decided I want to find out where that trail was because I know it's not going to be exactly where the paved road is today because they, it's just like when they come in and pave a, a, a dirt road, a curvy dirt road. They normally, the first thing they're going to do is straighten it and then pave it because pavement costs money. So most people don't have a clue about the the, the uh, Native American history that we, we have in this area. You alluded to the fact that shortly after you found the petroglyph, that somebody else came in and took it upon themselves to, I guess, essentially steal it from its location. Um, why do you think Somebody did that. It's a relic. It's an artifact. I mean, people do it all the time. Uh, you know, it's, it's a law now that you can't um, relic hunt without permission. It, it did not used to be that way. And people would trespass. And of course, it, it, you know, it's been for years, you couldn't do it on a, like a, like at Kennesaw Mountain National Battlefield. You couldn't do it there or state facilities. But, oh, people will, uh, that's a... Uh, it's a big market in stolen artifacts. Collectors will, certain collectors will buy them. Most of them, they're not gonna touch anything that's stolen, but whoever it was probably just wanted to be able to say, you know, look what I got. But when it came out on the news, it made too many people aware of it. So if he told somebody, he said, look what I got, they might say, is that the one that was stolen? So I just think he brought it back, uh, felt guilty and brought it back. and. He didn't even put it in the hole right. He just kind of dropped it, I guess, and, and ran. Especially if he was carrying it by himself because it's fairly heavy. I guess my question is, I don't mean this as naive, what makes somebody think here is something old that is special, that doesn't belong to me, let me vandalize it, let me try to take it? I mean, it's, it's kind of a leap, you know, to... As someone who, you know, cares about this history, how do you convince those people, like, just leave it, like, leave it alone. Let it be a thing. How would you want to talk to people about that when they come across stuff? Like, why is it important to respect it, essentially? I'm not so much into uh, more rules and regulations, but it seems like every year that, that we have more, especially government-imposed uh, rules and regulations that you have to, to go by. Uh, but 
in a case like an artifact or relic, something like that, uh, anything that's, that's from the past that's worth saving needs to be saved. And I think that, that if I could sit down and uh, with a, a group of students and explain to them the value of something like this and the historical significance of this, I don't think that they would try to steal it. we solved the mystery? I mean, we found it and we, we uh, uh, followed the, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, we followed the trail as far as we could. Yeah, I think we, we found it, but it doesn't feel, I don't know. I know, I know. I, I had hopes when you told me this mystery. I think I said on the phone, we will find the petroglyph. And then we did find it. Yes. <laughs> it's, in, it's in the library where all good searching should start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was right here the whole time. Okay, so it seems like it maybe is a real petroglyph. Mm-hmm. According yeah. to the state. I am just as surprised as you are. <laughs> and there's another one somewhere. Yes. There are... I will say that they look similar. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I feel I am, if I had to do a percentage of how certain I am about, okay, this is question one, is this a real petroglyph? Um, I would say yes. I am, if I could say a percentage, I would say yes. Um, okay, if I could say a percentage, I would say that I am, I'm 75%, mm-hmm. 80, maybe above. I'm pretty convinced. Yeah, I'd say about 80%, sure. Uh, it, it appears to have been authenticated by someone that the state recruited or requested. Recruited, what does that mean? <laughs> The state hired somebody. Yeah. Yeah, the state hired somebody. And now it lives in the library in Peachtree City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I like that they have pine straw around it. They like, do, yes. <laughs> it's like in its own little nest. Oh, to make it feel like home, I guess. They put some pine oh, straw around okay, it. Okay, now I feel ambivalent I because now I'm like, this rock is supposed to be... Yeah. That's the only disappointing thing to me. I wish it could go back to where it was originally so that everyone could go see it where it was originally found. But I also understand why that's complicated to do that. Um, I also think there's a metaphor here somewhere about Native American objects and Native American people, the perception that it's lost, that it's missing, that we don't know what happened to it, or, you know, these words that we often use regarding Native Americans and Native American artifacts, vanished, you know, stolen, these different words. And sometimes the answer is that they're they're still here. They're not missing, you know, this 
but public perception is that it was, and that wasn't true. It's been in the Peachtree City Library most of this time, but, but very few people know that, uh, which I find really interesting and odd. I'm just sad. I feel slightly sad that it has to live in a case in the library. I do too. As nice as the case is. Eddie built the case. Mm-hmm. He did. He did build the case. And I wish it were where it's supposed to be. I do too. Uh, when I, I think it also kind of goes back to this isn't this quite the same thing as repatriation, but in some ways it is. Like how you return something that's been removed from its home how do you bring it back there it's is it ever going to be the same again what's the risk that it's going to get vandalized or taken again uh you have to weigh all those things and sometimes a solution is not ideal you know and sometimes it's complicated um i guess it's okay where it's at but it's not ideal That's our show this week. We would like to send a huge thank you to Eddie Lanham for sitting down with us and helping us sort through some of this mystery. And if you know anything else about the petroglyph that we don't know, please feel free to reach out on our website or give us a call. The number's on the website too. We'd also like to thank Jessica's family who provided recording space and inspiration and conversation, and we just had a wonderful time. I say we. I had a wonderful time hanging out with Jessica and her family over the last few weeks as we tried to unravel this mystery. About South is now brought to you from Gresham Park in Atlanta, Georgia. Kelly Vines and Ajua Danto are my co-producers, and Jessica Parker produced this week's episode. Our music is by Brian Horton. You can find his music at brianhorton.com. You can find us at aboutsouthpodcast.com, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be back next week with a new episode, and until then, take care. <laughs>